Hello and welcome to In the Loop, a podcast working in cooperation with Suffolk Votes and Suffolk University's Center for Community Engagement. The views and opinions expressed on In the Loop do not reflect the opinions of Suffolk University, the Center for Community Engagement, or Suffolk Votes. I'm Cam Sweeney. I'm Maddie Dubois. And I'm Andrew Gomes. This week, former President Trump faces a potential criminal indictment. Xi Jinping starts an unprecedented third term as president of China. The International Criminal Court issues an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin and more. Congress voted for the first time in decades to overturn local D.C. legislation on March 8th. 33 Senate Democrats joined Republicans in supporting legislation that would block the District of Columbia from enacting an overhaul of D.C.'s criminal code. President Biden has already stated that he will sign the measure, blocking D.C. from reforming their criminal code. While many stated D.C.'s overhaul was too soft on crime, many advocates stated that Congress still should not have intervened and that the elected municipal government of D.C. should be allowed to govern itself. Many advocates for D.C. statehood, especially supporters in the Democratic Party, have also found the Senate vote discouraging and perhaps indicative of the lack of support for D.C.'s self-governance going forward. Former President Donald Trump could be arrested as soon as March 22nd in relation to a hush money payment that was made to Stormy Daniels during the 2016 presidential election. In 2016, Michael Cohen, Trump's former lawyer, paid Daniels $130,000 during his time in the White House. Trump reimbursed Cohen for the payment. The hush money itself is not the potential crime, but how it could potentially have been falsely documented as legal expenses. Currently, it is unknown if the grand jury will try Trump for a misdemeanor or a felony, and many argue that taking this crime to a federal level would be legally risky and untested. All in all, a situation like this is unprecedented, as Donald Trump would be the first former president to be indicted. Xi Jinping wins a third term as China's president under the Chinese Communist Party. The president of China has goals of reviving China's economy and boosting private enterprises after their economic decline due to long and unprecedented COVID lockdowns and protests related to said lockdowns. Jinping aims to focus on scientific development and manufacturing. However, many are skeptical about his motives due to tensions with the West his close relationship with Russia, and the fact that the Chinese government still has an intrusive presence in Chinese businesses. Also happening this past week, uh, the International Criminal Court has issued an arrest warrant uh, for Russian President Vladimir Putin, um, as well as other top Russian officials over war crimes committed in Ukraine. The judges of the ICC allege that Russia participated in the unlawful deportation and unlawful transfer of children and orphans from, from occupied areas of Ukraine into Russian families. Uh, according to Ukraine's top prosecutor general, officials are investigating more than 16,000 incidents of forced removal of children from Ukraine into territory held by Russia. Uh, and as of November, more than 10,000 Ukrainian children have reported to have been taken to Russia without their parents. Uh, still, this arrest warrant is largely symbolic. Russia, just like the United States, does not accept uh, the ICC's jurisdiction Still, it's significant. This is the first time that the ICC has ever issued an arrest warrant for the head of state of a permanent member of the UN Security Council. Um, Even with all this being considered, though, the Kremlin has quickly dismissed the warrants and they vowed not to cooperate. And it's incredibly unlikely that Putin will ever be taken into custody or that a court case would ever occur. On March 20th, Chinese President Xi Jinping visited Moscow on a voyage of friendship, cooperation, and peace. This summit comes after China has taken an increased presence on the global stage, issuing a memo calling for a ceasefire in the Russia-Ukraine war and mediating an establishment of ties between Saudi Arabia and Iran. 
In this memo, China continued its ambiguous stance, both supporting Ukraine's sovereignty while also blaming the crisis on NATO's expansion and the West's Cold War mentality. Whether she is able to broker a ceasefire in the coming future or not, China's willingness to get involved in a war in Europe is indicative of Xi's intentions to become a bigger player in the international stage. And we can see this with Saudi Arabia and Iran agreeing to reestablish ties. As mentioned earlier, following talks hosted by China, Saudi Arabia and Iran have agreed to reestablish diplomatic ties and reopen the embassies in each other's countries within two months. This is a large de-escalation between the two countries who have largely been rivals on opposing sides of several proxy wars in Yemen, Iraq, and Lebanon. And now back to domestic news in Los Angeles. The Los Angeles United School District remains closed this week as thousands of teachers, bus drivers, custodians, and cafeteria workers continue their union-organized strike. The union and its employees are seeking a 30% pay increase as they report they've received not much more than the state minimum wage, as reported by the Los Angeles Times. This is the second largest labor strike in U.S. history and highlights some difficulties, including the rising costs of living and income inequalities in California. And we can relate this to the ongoing discussion here in Massachusetts of whether or not teachers should legally be allowed to strike. Uh, And moving now to the last story, after more than four decades of silence, Ben Barnes, the former Republican Speaker of the Texas House of Representatives and former Lieutenant Governor of Texas, uh, revealed in an interview in a special article with the New York Times that he took part in a Republican operation designed to keep U.S. hostages in Iran locked up until the 1980 election, uh, which put Ronald Reagan into the White House. Um, as he said, ahead of the 1980 presidential election, many believed that President Carter's best chance for victory for being reelected would be to free the 52 Americans that were being held captive in Iran ahead of Election Day. Barnes, the individual that spoke with the New York Times, stated that he was taken on this mission by John Connolly Jr., a former Texas governor who had served under three different presidents and also unsuccessfully ran for the Republican nomination for president in the 1980 contest. According to Barnes, Connolly took him across several different capitals in the Middle East. They met with various different regional leaders, uh, essentially asking them to deliver the message to Iran don't release the hostages before the election. Reagan will win and give you a better deal. Many uh, in Carter's team and his presidential team and his campaign team suspected that the Republican campaign had worked to sabotage negotiations up to that point. Uh, However, until this article came out, there was no concrete evidence of it happening. uh, And previous congressional investigations were unable to come to a solid conclusion, were unable to prove um, any wrongdoing as a part of the Republican campaign. Ultimately, though, Iran did hold the hostages until after the 1980 election, uh, which Ronald Reagan won, and they did not release the hostages until just minutes after noon on Inauguration Day when President Carter officially left office, ending the 444-day hostage crisis. Thanks for listening, and be sure to visit us at itlpodcast.com for more information and a complete list of where you can listen. Also, be sure to follow us at Suffolk Votes on Instagram. Thank you, and we hope you tune in next week. 